Слава Україні! I'm Michelle Bonder. You're listening to Ukraine in a nutshell, the podcast where we're all having fun while educating ourselves, including me, because my beloved motherland always has some facts about itself that surprise me immensely. This is the second part of Independence in a Nutshell, a special episode dedicated to the 31st anniversary of Ukraine's independence last Wednesday. At first I thought that it would be weird to release an Independence Day-themed episode after the holiday, but then I remembered one of our president's most inspiring speeches. Here's the quote. Our independence does not end and will never end. And there will be our 32nd Independence Day and 33rd and all the following ones, as long as time on earth lasts. Ukraine will live forever, and it will only get stronger every day. So I decided that it's never too late, because independence isn't just a date on the calendar. It's a special place in my and every Ukrainian's heart. Also, it's a big day for me today, because my application to my dream university was finally accepted. And, probably in honor of that, Taylor Swift announced her new album. I'm so happy and I'm letting you know, because this is kind of my personal holiday, so I'm celebrating by releasing a podcast. Well, let's start, or better, continue our journey through independent Ukraine's history. In 2007, the new system of final exams was first presented. It's called external independent evaluation. Even here there is independence. And this system has been functioning ever since. And it was tested on me last month, lol. (laughs) In a nutshell, high school senior students all pass the same exams on the same appointed dates to avoid biased evaluations at schools or universities and too easy or too difficult tasks on local exams. This reform made bribes impossible in the entering campaign, and it's really important because in the USSR, corruption at universities was as common as russification and glorification of Lenin. Also, in 2007, Elton John went to Kyiv and gave a concert on the Square of Independence. I mention this because it's a major event in Ukrainian history and what they teach you at school. Oh, that's a joke, of course, just a fun fact for you to know. Though I wouldn't mind learning about concerts at school. In 2008, Ukraine became a member of the World Trade Organization. It was a result of years of negotiations, because joining it was a priority for Ukraine's foreign economic policy to attract more investments. For now, membership in the World Trade Organization has become an almost mandatory condition for any country seeking to integrate into the world economy. So Ukraine joined it kinda before it was mainstream. Imagine, the organization was created in 1995 and Ukraine initiated its membership in 1993. Another important event in 2008 was that Canada and the European Parliament recognized the Holodomor, or the Great Starvation, as an act of genocide against Ukrainians. The Holodomor was one of the most tragic pages in Ukrainian history, when in 1932-33, Soviet government killed approximately 7 million Ukrainians by confiscating all harvest and food from them. It was done so that Ukrainian villagers, weakened by hunger and loss, never resist the Soviet regime again. Interestingly, Rafael Lemkin, a Polish-Ukrainian Jewish historian who created the term genocide, 
used the Holodomor as an example of genocide in his works, but it was recognized as such many, many years later. In 2009, there was another gas war with Russia. That's all you need to know about the degree of friendliness in Ukraine-Russia relations. Even before the war in 2022 or 2014, they were very toxic, to say the least. In 2010, there was another presidential election. Usually they are extremely boring, but not in Ukraine. This time there were two rounds, and in the second round the candidates were Yulia Tymoshenko, formerly from the Yushchenko party, and already familiar to you, or even notorious, Viktor Yanukovych. This time he won though. More importantly, he was legit elected. Despite the obvious reason to avoid this guy in all government positions possible, Ukrainians chose him to rule the whole damn country. Experts associate this decision with disappointment in the previous government of Yushchenko. People dislike the chaos in the political system and disagreement among the coalition and hope that a new candidate will fix it. Still, how Ukrainians chose a candidate against who they made a whole revolution five years ago seems the most ineffable thing in Ukrainian politics to me. Yanukovych showed who he is in the first year of his presidency. In April 2010, he and Russia's president signed an agreement that prolonged the location of the Russian fleet in Sevastopol, Crimea, for 25 more years. If you recall the 90s agreement from part 1 of this episode, this means that Russian ships and troops were supposed to be in Ukraine until 2042. Yanukovych did what we call zrada, betrayal or even treason, in exchange for a gas discount. In years to come, Yanukovych will continue his pro-Russian and anti-Ukrainian policy making himself the most cringe-worthy president in Ukrainian history. I didn't mention Yulia Tymoshenko just to confuse you with a lot of names. In 2011, she was convicted of treason and imprisoned. The international community saw this as Yanukovych's attempt to get rid of his possible political opponents, which it obviously was. Tymoshenko was recognized as a political prisoner worldwide. Yanukovych's regime was becoming authoritarian. 2012. Ukraine and Poland held Euro 2012, the football championship among European countries. This, unlike Elton John or anybody else's concerts, was put into history books, which says a lot about society. <laughs> Joking, actually, it was important for Ukrainian infrastructure. Throughout the country, stadiums, roads, and the whole airport in Donetsk were built to receive the guests properly. By the way, the airport was completely destroyed two years later, after the 2014 Russian invasion. Some countries were about to boycott the championship because of political persecution and restriction on freedom of speech in Ukraine, but then came anyway. Also in 2012, the parliament adopted a law that significantly widened the sphere of Russian language usage. Society was mostly against this outright Russification, but who listened to them? Certainly not Yanukovych, who couldn't even speak Ukrainian properly, they call his government. Zrada, all over again. On the 21st of November 2013, the president was supposed to sign the association with the European Union, a long-awaited event for many Ukrainians. Instead, he suddenly refused. 
It is said that before the summit he had a secret meeting with Putin that influenced his decision. This led to protests in Kyiv called Euromaidan on the Square of Independence. Maidan is the Ukrainian for square. The protests were civilized and peaceful. People on the streets, mostly students, simply showed their disagreement with the government's decision. But on the night of the 30th of November, the police brutally beat the protesters. This was the last straw for Ukrainians. We were fed up with Yanukovych's arbitrariness and the authoritarian regime, which was becoming totalitarian, like in Russia. This day is considered the beginning of the Revolution of Dignity, when the people of Ukraine rebelled against the limitation of their freedom. The capital was bursting with tents, posters, then even barricades, because, unlike the Orange Revolution, this one met violent resistance from the government. But most importantly, Kyiv attracted people from all over Ukraine, the people who did everything they could to make a difference. During the days of the largest gatherings, there were up to one million people on the Maidan, in Kyiv alone. I should mention that the rallies were held in other cities too. Though the most dramatic and history-changing events took place in the capital. 2014. Needless to say that the government wasn't going to fulfill the demands of the protesters unless they were made to. That's why many people saw the New Year in, in the towns on the Maidan, never going to give up. In late January, the confrontation got more serious. The government used force again, this time there were dead victims. In total, 106 protesters were killed by the regime in the Revolution of Dignity among them Belarus and Georgia citizens. They are officially called the Heavenly Hundred and are honored as heroes by the Ukrainian people. If you want a more detailed chronicle of the revolution events, you should watch the Ukrainian-American documentary Winter on Fire. It's on Netflix, available in English. I just want to add that as a result, on the 22nd of February the revolution won, and Yanukovych shamefully fled to Russia, where he lives until this day. By the way, I didn't mention Russia in quite a while. Maybe after the revolution they left us alone. <sighs> if only. When Ukraine was at its most vulnerable, Russia occupied Crimea without a fight. It was easy for them, because there were Russian troops in Crimea already, unfortunately legally based. In March they held a pseudo-referendum on whether the people of Crimea wanted to join Russia violating all international protocols possible and Ukrainian sovereignty. Obviously, it was falsified and not recognized by the civilized world. Then Russia invaded east of Ukraine, and for many years they denied the location of their troops there, talking crap about a civil war in Ukraine between the Kyiv regime and eastern separatists. It was proved later that the Russian plan was to conquer if not the whole Ukraine, but at least all the regions in the east and south. There were coups in Odessa, Kharkiv and Dnipro, my native city, similar to those in Donetsk and Luhansk, the cities that were successfully occupied. Fortunately, Ukraine managed to stop the invasion, but after a year of the hot phase of the war and significant territorial changes, the conflict was frozen. For eight years, Ukraine participated in ineffective negotiations and lived in fear that one day Russia might want more. Nevertheless, in such stressful conditions, the newly elected Ukrainian president Petro Poroshenko managed to sign that very association with the EU in June 2014. 
Funnily enough, he signed it with Yanukovych's pen, the one he was supposed to use in November 2013, at the beginning of everything. 2015 was the year of the active warfare. Russia vetoed the Malaysian Boeing Downing investigation. The airplane with almost 300 people on board was shot down by a Russian missile over Donetsk in July 2014. There were no survivors, making it the deadliest airliner shootdown incident. Though Russia denied its involvement in the catastrophe, it was obvious and proven later by the investigation by passing the veto. After all, why would they veto it if they were innocent? And its shooting down was only one example of Russian violence. In 2016, Ukrainian government started a decommunization campaign. The goal was to get rid of the Ukrainian colonial past in political and cultural life. Monuments of Soviet mass murders sanctified by the totalitarian regime were put down. Streets and cities named after them were named in honor of worthy Ukrainians. My city used to be called Dnipropetrovsk. The Dnipro is the main river of Ukraine, and Petrovsky was a Soviet official responsible for the great starvation. Only in 2016 it was rightly and neatly renamed Dnipro. Another city in Ukraine used to be Kirovograd, named after the organizer of mass repressions Kirov. Now it's called Kropovnitsky, because a prominent Ukrainian playwright Marko Kropovnitsky was born there. Sounds much more logical, doesn't it? In 2017, Ukraine signed an agreement with the EU about the visa-free regime. It was another big step towards re reuniting with Europe. This year, Ukraine hosted the Eurovision in Kyiv, because last year, Crimean Tatar singer Jamala won the contest as the representative of Ukraine. Her song 1944 was in English and Crimean Tatar languages, and the lyrics were about the Soviet deportation of indigenous people of Crimea to the east of the USSR in 1944. Thanks to Jamala, the world found out about another crime of the Soviet regime. In 2018, Ukrainian Orthodox Church got autocephaly from the universe patriarch. I'm not an expert in the church hierarchy, but before the Ukrainian church was always a subordinate of the Moscow patriarch. Autocephaly put an end to it, and it was very important because the Russian Orthodox Church explicitly supports the Russian invasion and broadcasts Russian propaganda even in prayers. 2019 was another election year. Ukrainians chose Volodymyr Zelensky. I think by now he's world famous. Interestingly, he never had a career in politics before. Instead, he used to be the country's most famous comedian and actor. In a 2015 TV show called Servant of the People, Zelensky played the role of a history teacher who unexpectedly becomes the president of Ukraine, as you can see manifesting works. Besides, Zelensky in real life political party was called Servant of the People later. A lot of his fans were mocked for voting for a clown in 2019, but our president proved to be worthy following the Russian invasion in 2022. In 2020, Ukraine, like the whole world, experienced the coronavirus pandemic. It was as awful as anywhere, so there is no use to retell what you already know. We stayed home, very scared, thinking that it was the most horrible thing in our lifetime. If only we knew it wasn't, and there is a violent war ahead. 2021 was a milestone for Ukraine. 
we celebrated the 30th anniversary of independence. That was a year of recalling our history. Basically, the media was doing what I'm doing, but more detailed and professional. There was a big parade in Kyiv and Odessa, great performances, concerts of Ukrainian and foreign singers. If you know Andrea Bocelli, he was there too. The cheerful posters all over Ukraine, you could feel the spirit of the independence. Ukrainian Mriya, or the dream, the biggest plane in the world, flew on that parade too. It was its last ceremonial flight, unfortunately. On the 27th of February 2022, Russians destroyed it. After the victory, we will rebuild it, because the Ukrainian dream can't be destroyed by missiles. Well, 2022. I won't be wrong if I say that it's the hardest challenge for Ukraine of the 21st century. First of all, because nobody expected a medievally barbaric war in modern Europe. Throughout this year, our sorrow was always mixed with joy. There were victories among so many losses. In the middle of the invasion, Ukraine got the status of a candidate state to the European Union. Just like in 2014, when the association was signed, Europe lent a hand to Ukraine when it was needed. I can't help mentioning our viral victory in Eurovision in May that lifted all Ukrainian spirits and helped spread the information about Mariupol and Azovstal right from the stage. I believe there are many victories ahead for Ukraine, and next time this year I'll be recording a special episode and telling you about the way Ukraine won in its fight for independence. I hope this information was useful and interesting for you. You know, history helps get rid of delusions. Once I naively believed that Russia was always friends with Ukraine and attacked in 2014 completely unexpectedly. After learning history, I memorized for the rest of my life that the invasion was merely a culmination in this chain of abusive events in toxic relations. If after listening to this episode it was one of the things you memorized too, I fulfilled my goal here. It was a pleasure for me to research the topics for this massive episode. If it was a pleasure for you to listen to it, let me know in the comments. I'd be more than happy to find out that you enjoy what I'm doing. I hope you didn't run out of your chamomile tea. If you did, I highly recommend you renew your supplies, because the next episode is coming in a week. Though it won't be as depressing as this one, because we'll talk about Ukraine's character development. Many foreigners underestimate Ukraine as a modern, technologically developed country, thinking that it's the same as in the USSR. I'll debunk this stereotype next time, because Ukraine is definitely more modern than you think. See you next Monday. Glory to Ukraine.